As women, we we have been sold a narrative that, you know, there's all these personal care products that can enhance our beauty and uh, prevent aging. And Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike bringing you another guest. And today, this is going to be one that every single person needs to listen to. Um, If you are remotely around the area of becoming pregnant, have uh, or in pregnancy or have been pregnant and want to be healthy throughout the pregnancy, today's guest is going to get you through that. And today's guest is a naturopathic physician um, out in the central central California. Uh, she has a practice out in central California. Her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Jolene, are you available for the call right now? I am. Awesome. And I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. We were just talking a little bit er- earlier. Um, and um, we're going to talk today about pregnancies. And, and let's just, let me start off with a little bit of your background so that our audience can kind of get to know you just a little bit. Okay. So, you know, my background is actually an interesting one. So I started out very, very long time ago um, getting very interested in nutrition. And that was really born out of the fact that I was a sick kid with a lot of digestive problems and no one could really figure out what was going on for a long time. Fast forward by about seven years, and they figured out that, lo and behold, I had a bacteria in my stomach uh, that is now known very well as H. pylori. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah. At the time, you know, I was only 17 when they discovered it. Um, It was this new, like, you know, it it was the new microorganism to know about. And it was at that point, I did the full antibiotic treatment. I actually got to go two rounds because I got to discover I was severely allergic to amoxicillin with the first round. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, good times for sure. Um, but, you know, it was after all, all that treatment was said and done that my doctor then said, here's your proton pump inhibitor and you need to take this for the rest of your life. Which, you know, telling a 17-year-old girl, like, you're going to have to take a medication for the rest of your life, is kind of like, that's unrealistic to begin with. But it was something that made me pause and really made me think, well, I don't want to do this. What could I do differently? And that's how I really started to dive into nutrition. And I feel like my path kind of veered as I I went to college and I studied nutrition and um, I went into graduate school to study molecular nutrition. And I like to joke that this is about the time that I decided that I was going to uh, you know, subscribe to the church known as science and just, you know, take, (laughs) take in all the biotechnology I could. I, I make jokes about how, you know, I was studying recombinant DNA technology and how to manipulate genes and do all these things. And it was through that, that I really came to understand how little we knew as humans. And the truth was, is that the body had this innate ability to heal itself and this its own wisdom and these things that like science couldn't really answer. So I stumbled upon naturopathic medicine one day and it was an instant fit. 
And much to the dismay of my professors, I walked away from job offers from really big uh, biotechnology companies who will remain unnamed, but <laughs> I never work for, um, to become a naturopathic doctor. And uh, everybody's mind was kind of blown <laughs> by that. Like, uh-huh. you just you just left science for the anti-science, to which I'm like, no, 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 no. Naturopathic medicine is, you know, we hold the viewpoint that there's science, but there's also, you know, these things that we just kind of come to understand, like that are the laws of nature. Like we don't need research to tell us that we need to sleep. Like we know this to be true. Now I'm a nerd and I totally love the research, but you know, it's something we, we know to be true. You get tired for a reason. And it's when you go against like these basic human needs that we see disease develop. But I think probably the question for your listeners is like, well, how did she come to, you know, that's naturopathic medicine. How did she come to, you know, step into this arena of, you know, childbirth and fertility and postpartum? Yes. And, um, yeah, yeah, I kind of predicted that one, (laughs) you know, I, when I was in naturopathic school, there, there's a, there's a, you can go the route of studying midwifery, to which I did, and I, I learned in all of that as I studied mid- midwifery that I just wasn't cut out for catching babies. Like I really liked sleep a lot, and so being a midwife wasn't going to be a good fit for a gal who wanted to sleep con- consistently. Right, babies come when they come. They do. Um, and you know, it was during that time that when I was studying all this, I came to really start to recognize a deficit in healthcare. And it was reinforced further when I graduated and I had the opportunity to work in a pediatrician's office, which was a fantastic experience. And what I came to observe is that mama had just as many, if not more questions about her body as she did about what was happening in her newborn baby. And the pediatrician who I love, and it is an amazing pediatrician, did not study women's health the way I did. And so he would look at these moms and say, I don't know, you should talk to Dr. Brighton and be out the door. Mm. And I had this really unique opportunity to sit with these women and to hear their story and to recognize that, wait a minute, you get a six-week checkup. And then after that baby's born, we, we check you at six weeks and then we send you along your way. But there's a whole lot changing in your body that no one's paying attention to. Fast forward, you know, several years later to the birth of my son. And personally, I felt that experience and everything that I had, I had thought to be true and what I was seeing in these patients was in fact true for my experience as well. And this is not a dig on my midwives. So I had naturopathic midwives. I had two, um, well, two that I hired. And then my friends who were also naturopathic midwives attended the birth. And I had this beautiful yet painful natural home birth. Um, I like to put the painful part in just so people know uh, it's not, you know, (laughs) I'm not one of those women that's like, oh, it's beautiful and wonderful. No, birth is messy and painful and all those things. And that's okay. But, you know, I went through that and I realized after my six-week checkup, like there was nobody looking out for me. And I had my own health struggles. And it was actually the birth of my son that also triggered me to develop multiple autoimmune conditions. And the most prominent ones that showed up for me uh, was Hashimoto's, which is a postpartum thyroid condition. And I also developed antibodies to my adrenal glands. Wow. 
And I struggled in a very long time to get answers. And and then the worst part is I was a doctor struggling, to, not able to get help from other doctors because they were still subscribing to the narrative to which we are all taught in medical school. And which is true in that being a mom is really hard. It's inherently stressful. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to feel stressed. Like these things are true. But as doctors, it's not really our place to say, well, you know, are your symptoms worth paying attention to? Mm. It's our job to listen and to, to and to hear that patient's story because nobody knows what is normal for anyone else's body. It's only the person living in that body that's privy that to that information. And, and to me as a physician, I'm like, that is some, that's gold right there. I mean, I can run all the labs in the world, but your story as a patient and the progression of your symptoms, it's really the key. And it really holds the key to so much of what is going on. And so it was through that experience and a lot of heartache, a lot of pain and a lot of struggle that I came to a place where I just said no more. I don't ever want to see any mother struggle in this way if I can help it. And it really set me on my mission to say, you know, let's not let's not only do postpartum care better, because we definitely can do that better in this country, but let's back it up and let's examine what is true preventative medicine. And true preventative medicine isn't a well-child exam. It's not a vaccine. It's not, you know, a, a preventative, even probiotic, uh, you know, at birth. It's really how are we caring for our future and current mothers? That is preventative medicine, because if we take a look at mom as both the seed and the soil, we can then view her through a lens that has a much greater impact on, on not only the child she will bear, but I mean, really, like this sounds kind of, you know, uh, kind of catastrophic, you know, doomsday in a way. But really, I mean, our women have an impact on the entire future generations. We're talking our human species. And to me, that's huge. And that's a place where in medicine, we could definitely back it up and do it a little bit better. Yeah, it, it seems like, like well, like anything else in, in our Western medicine, that we've been going about it in this primitive manner, you know, and I've, I, just like, you know, your story, I see tons and tons of patients who come in with that same story, you know, like, hey, doc, everything was going well until my first pregnancy after I gave birth to my son or daughter. Now everything's kind of haywire. And, and so that's why, you know, uh, you know, I loved, uh, you know, what when I first, you know, came across you online and I was reading your stories and the 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 work that you you do with women is just phenomenal because it takes this holistic approach, first of all, and then it's just not let's not just work on things after the fact, but let's take a preventative approach. Right. So let's let's start there. Let's start with the whole aspect of, you know, you have somebody who say they they want to get pregnant or um, and they they're like, hey, you know, Dr. Brighton, uh, we you know, we want to have a baby. What's our best way to go about this so we have a healthy pregnancy? Well, that is a great question. And I first want to back it up and say that I just really appreciate how you honor and acknowledge that patient who tells you ever since the birth of my child, things haven't been right because that right there is a key. I mean, that right there is so important. And there are so many women who come to my practice that no doctors ever listened when they said that. So I just mm. want to take a moment and really honor you for that because oh, that you. is super important. And it's really something that, you know, without that, how do, what hope does this woman have to yeah. get, yeah. get better? 
So yeah, first step. So you want to become pregnant. Now, the moment that thought enters into your mind for everyone listening, male or female, the first thing I ask my patients do to do is stand back and take a look at your environment. Mm. And not like, not just like your environment of like, you know, oh, do I have clean drinking water? This is something we actually take for granted uh, in most of uh, most of America. So it, and so we think like, oh, well, we have clean water. And, and that's the, that's about as far as people go in their environment. But you know, the reality is, is that our biggest toxin exposure happens in our own homes. Yes. And especially as women, right? Because yeah. As women, we we have been sold a narrative that, you know, there's all these personal care products that can enhance our beauty and uh, prevent aging. And like I have giant curly hair. So by no means am I knocking anyone for wanting to use personal care products because mm-hmm. if I didn't use stuff, my, my hair would be like giant. So I totally, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to get on any high horse here. But what I'm saying is that you have to step back and look at what are you putting on your body? What are you, what are you putting on your body and what are you taking into your body? Because if you're choosing to eat foods that are not organic or you're choosing to, uh, you know, put on lotion that makes you smell like vanilla, chances are you're exposing yourself to endocrine disruptors. And the reality in our society is that you will always be exposed to endocrine disruptors at this point. And endocrine disruptors are just they're molecules that disrupt your hormones. They grab onto receptors. They trick your body from doing its job. They create stress and they can keep you from getting pregnant and impact the health of your baby. I mean, most babies, they they did this study on cord blood and they found almost 200 toxins in a new baby's cord blood. The reality is our, our environment is permeated with things yeah. like BPA and pesticides that we're not really going to be able to get away from that. And that that might feel a little bit depressing, but here's the truth. You have a lot of control about what you bring into your house and what you put on and in your body. So that is definitely the first place to start is what are, what are some of these things that could be obstacles to your fertility? And so the environment is definitely one. And then we work outside of that. So, so environment, we're looking at, you know, what, what is your day-to-day life? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you moving your body? I mean, just very foundational things. And then we move out from that to start screening for, okay, do we have any nutrient deficiencies? Um, For instance, ferritin, which is the storage form of iron. I like to call it the savings account of iron. Um, You can think of your red blood cells. They're just out there. They're like a checking account. They're Mm. They're just spending your iron. This is a marker that not a lot of docs will check for before a woman becomes pregnant. It's a really simple blood test. But I can see that you know, for red blood cells, they look fine. The hemoglobin, hematocrit, they're showing no signs of iron deficiency. But if I step back and I look at the ferritin levels and those are quite low, well, I know what's going to happen in pregnancy. Your demands for nutrients are going to skyrocket. And if you're already starting with, with a savings account that's at a deficit, we're going to have a lot of trouble there. And so we want to build up our nutrient stores. I think it's very true that now more than ever in our society, women are entering into pregnancy more depleted and 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 more nutrient um more more nutrient depletions are being seen overall and part of that is yeah there's like maybe our food doesn't contain as many nutrients as it, as it used to but there's the also the other aspect of we're always detoxifying like a lot more detoxification for the things coming in our environment and then on top of that you know we're always um we're we're always experiencing some level of stress in our environment and whether your job is stressful or your home life is stressful i mean aside from that just 
just being a human in the artificial world we have built is very stressful. There's an evolutionary mismatch between, between, you know, the stress that we experience and how our brain interprets it. I mean, that stress response developed to keep us safe, you know, but your brain is actually not as smart as we like to think it is. And when you get stressed, your brain's going to say, whoa, 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 I don't smell a tiger. I don't see a tiger. I can't hear a tiger. Okay. I don't know why I'm supposed to be stressed. So let's just freak out a little bit more. And that's when we see like anxiety and these other symptoms can start to develop. These are very like, like very uh, reductionistic examples that I'm giving, but just trying to drive home the point of, you know, you have to, you have to tend to the whole person and you have to be looking at how that person's interacting with their environment. And really it's the diet and lifestyle pieces and, and, you know, the environment as a whole is the starting place for all of that. Does that make sense? That's perfect. That's perfect. Now, what, let me take a little bit of a, an aside here. Do you think that because of the whole nutrient deficiencies, um, improper lifestyles, is, do you think that that's why we're seeing a lot of women who struggle with fertility? I think that's and stress and stress, by the way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's, that's definitely part of it. I mean, the other thing that we see happens a lot too. Um, and I, and I see this so much in my practice is that there will be a woman who's now in her thirties and she decides that now is the time she'd like to have a child Uh and she's come off birth control pill and her, and you know, things, she's just not getting pregnant. Like what's going on? So we start to dig deeper. We start to examine, you know, what's going on and look for the obvious things. But you know, what it can often be is actually, there was a problem that started when she was 14, Mm. that she had menstrual irregularities, or she was having terrible PMS symptoms, or, you know, you fill in the blank with any kind of hormonal symptom. And the quick answer from her doctor was, here's a birth control pill. It'll make it all go away, which is true. It will make it go away for the short term. You just put, you know, another bandage, you know, over, over a big, big problem. And really, if we think about it, like in the iceberg perspective, like You've only addressed the tip of the iceberg, but lying under the water is this huge mass that's being left to just grow and and to, you know, continue the pathology. And so, yeah, you know, there's that there's that piece of it of like, okay, you know, that women are more stressed and they're not, uh, you know, they're not eating as well. And, and, you know, that, that aspect. But there's also the aspect that something often something is going on earlier in her life. And instead of dealing with it in that moment, she's given a birth control pill, told to go on her way and to worry about it once she becomes pregnant. But unfortunately, 15 years of masking symptoms can lead to some really significant underlying imbalances and even diseases. Um, and so just, you know, as an example, so, so a condition I work with a lot is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's an autoimmune thyroid condition and it's the most common autoimmune disease and it primarily affects women. It can make getting pregnant really difficult, maintaining a pregnancy even more difficult, and it can make postpartum an extremely hard time for a mother. Yeah, yeah. This is a super simple blood test that can be done. And here's the here's the thing most doctors don't know is that you know, if you have hypothyroidism, even early signs, that that can actually be causing your menstrual irregularities. And 
that your thyroid, your adrenal glands, and your ovaries are so intimately connected that if there's one imbalance, one system is imbalanced, you can bet the other ones are as well. And so this woman may have actually had you know, early signs of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So she had early autoimmune progression starting. And instead of treating the underlying cause and digging deeper and showing her the respect that she deserves in her health, she's just being given a, a Band-Aid and sent on her way. And that, that can have a significant impairment on her fertility. But even worse, I mean, once you develop one autoimmune condition, you're at a much higher risk of developing subsequent autoimmune conditions. And I just got to say, like, I am not bashing con- conventional medicine for this. Like, look, if that if all I had was birth control for a tool, then sure, I would probably, you know, be guilty of doing that as well. I mean, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I always tell people. Now, what... Do you, in in your opinion, do you, if a person there, they want to get pregnant and they, they take your advice here and they're getting the lab tests and, but everything kind of seems normal, uh, but they're still having issues with uh, either getting pregnant or even with their past pregnancies. What do you do then as far as lab testing? Where do you dive deeper in, into something maybe like salivary hormones or uh, urinary urinalysis or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, we, we dig deep. Usually by the time the patients get to me, um, they have seen everyone and they've tried just about everything. And so this happens quite a lot. And it's the, I, I can't help but giggle about it because it's just from my own past and my experience of like saying this doesn't feel normal. And my doctor's being like, well, it all looks normal. So you must be fine. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a common thing, right? Can't be true. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a super common thing. And, um, you know, we, in my practice, we view labs through a little bit of a different lens and I do not disagree with what is disease and what is the absence of disease. But, you know, we're not going for the absence of disease. Like we're going for stellar health. Like yeah. we want to build superhumans. Like that's what we're going for here. So, you know, this idea, you know, that it's just something where it's like, oh, well, it's just normal. Well, is it optimal though? Because there's reference ranges where things are optimal. And so we certainly take a look at that. And we always look at labs in the context of the patient's story. So, you know, it's sometimes, yeah, a lab might look a little bit normal. So thyroid lab, for example, those labs can look normal. But as you dig deeper, you might actually find that the woman's like the brain hormone, TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, that looks normal. T4, what the thyroid produces, that looks normal. But T3, not even close to normal. Why? Well, because there might be an issue with conversion and there might be too much reverse T3 than, than there is T3 taking place. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when I look at labs, it's it's definitely in the context of the patient's story. And then it's in relation to how do they all speak to each other? So we definitely are doing um, salivary plant panels, urinary panels. Um, I like to run um, certain urinary and blood panels where we get really in-depth uh, nutrient inf- information, including mitochondrial function, which is really, really important. And women always ask, why are we looking at your mit- my mitochondria? That's your lineage. Yeah. That and your microbiome is what you pass on to baby. And here's a little secret of fertility. If you optimize your mitochondria, you're going to be optimizing your egg quality and your chances of conception as well. And so we're looking at all of that 
And then certainly, you know, if there's a high level of suspicion for heavy metal toxicity, we're going to be, you know, looking into those things as well. I like to run, um, I like to run gut panels on women. I like to have an idea of what we're working with. Like I said, you're going to pass on your microbiome. And if your gut isn't functioning correctly, you're not going to absorb your nutrients. Um, and in addition, you're going to have, I mean, that's, you're going to have immune system imbalance. That's the seat of our immune system. Yeah. about. Like, you know, there's a 60, 80%, you'll see that it fluctuates somewhere around 70% of our immune system is hanging out in our gut. If you have inflammation in your body, this is probably going to be where it's coming from. And that's going to place stress on your adrenal glands. And as your adrenal glands try to push out all that cortisol in order to dampen the inflammation, it's going to choose to downregulate your fertility. And this is what's really important is that yeah, maybe all your labs look normal, but if the physiology isn't functioning the way that it should be, then then it's far from normal. If your body is having to choose survival over procreation, you're not going to get pregnant. And the truth is your body will always choose survival over procreation. And it can be that simple as we have to get your body comfortable with being here on this earth and for it not to feel like it has to freak out every time you're met with a deadline. And look, that's not just about mind-body medicine. That's definitely a piece of it. But most women, by the time we get to the point where we're just kind of like losing our minds over stress, it's our physiology is so far off and we need to gently correct for that. And yeah, we got to do the diet lifestyle pieces, absolutely. But a lot of times I see too, We've got to bring women back to a place where they even have enough energy to get out of bed in the morning or not, you know, scream at their husband at the end of the day because they're so spread thin. We've got to <laughs> we've got to support their physiology so they can love their life that they're living right now. Yeah, I, I love that part. Don't scream at their husbands at the end of the day. <laughs> it's uh, totally progesterone. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I tell women all the time, if you don't have progesterone, yeah. Like you will either, I have my like three part question of this is how I assess progesterone levels. Like before your period, do you either A, want to kill somebody or <laughs> B, run away to the woods and never be seen again or C, all of the above. <laughs> and, you know, once the door, like, you know, you're laughing. I think it's, you know, we all, it's a good thing to have a good laugh about. Right. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as that door closes to my office, there's so many women who are like, I feel absolutely that way. And I feel yeah. like I can't say it out loud. And I'm like, well, it's okay to, to say that out loud to me because I'm. it helps me understand your hormones, but maybe you don't want to like leave my office and tell people that. That's, yeah. But we've like any woman who's had low progesterone, she's been there. And if she's listening to this now, she knows she's not in her head right now in her car being like, I feel that. Yeah. Now they, they followed your advice. They've, they, they've, got their environment clean, they've uh, changed changed up their lifestyle, got their nutrients going, and then they find out they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. What's our steps from there? What, what, what should they continue on with and what are some things that they may, they may need to add in? Yeah. So <clears throat> before conception, three months before, you should be on a good quality prenatal. And I recommend that women choose folate, food-based folate or uh, methyl tetrahydrofolate. So um, the you want the activated folate, not folic acid, unless you're really confident of your MTHFR status, yeah. which is that's a whole other topic right, right, to right. go into. So I just want to say, because I'm going to say you need to you need to continue your prenatal. So we have to say you need to start that in the first place. And then generally I have women um, on fish oil as well um, as part of all of that because we want to feed mama's brain and baby's brain. 
And those are two uh, really foundational things. And then depending on the situation, also probiotics and vitamin D. And why I say depending on the situation is that you know, if I have someone with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth that's suddenly pregnant, and this does happen in my office, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to have to finesse that a bit. Or, or if your vitamin D levels are too high, because yes, you should have a blood test and always assess that. I don't necessarily want to supplement you. So I don't want to just say, oh, supplement with these things. You want to know where you're, where you're at with things. You know, the, the other thing I'll say, first trimester, all bets are off. We all enter into first trimester thinking, I'm going to eat all my leafy greens every single day. I share with my patients that I couldn't even stand the smell of romaine lettuce. And I have a garden. I have a little urban farm at my house. Mm -hmm. And I was growing all my own food. And I couldn't go out there and water it because every time I smelt the romaine lettuce, I would start gagging. I didn't even know romaine lettuce had a smell. Right, so. right. <laughs> And so that's why I say all bets are off in the first trimester. That's why we got to load the nutrients before you get pregnant and you got to continue that prenatal. And then, you know, it's, it's a lot of times usually whatever mama can take in. And we are very gentle with mama in this, at this point, because, you know, some women can hardly keep anything down. And there's a lot, it's like the moment you conceive the mom guilt comes in and there's a lot of guilt. Like I felt guilt that oh my gosh, here I am. I know all this stuff and I can't even, I can't even eat any greens and I can't like, you know, even protein was hard for me. And so, you know, we work on an individualized level with women in this scenario where it's like, well, maybe we're doing a greens powder and that's what you can tolerate for a few weeks. I mean, of course we want to start with like, can you do a green smoothie? But sometimes it's just like, can we do a greens powder? Can we put some collagen in your tea? Like, can you, can you mask it that way? And we just work with women on the nutritional aspect the best that we can. Now in the first trimester, every single organ is being defined. So we're very careful about what we use in terms of herbs. Um, and even some vitamins, like vitamin A is teratogenic. If you're taking in too much vitamin A through a supplement, that can be really harmful to baby. Um, I've yet to see any woman eat enough liver for that to be a problem. So yeah. I don't I don't really, you know, say like, oh, food, like you need to avoid that. Um, but, you know, it's it's just something in that regard. We have to really step back and take that, that individualized approach and be mindful that an entire organism is forming right now. So this is not the time to start experimenting with herbs. Um, if you're on any supplements that you haven't cleared with your doctor, it's, you know, aside from the prenatal official, it's best just to stop them and get a firm yes or no on that than to just continue to take it. And here's the deal. There is this beautiful grace period. Again, the body is very wise where, you know, the placenta isn't even hooked up yet and, and feeding baby, uh, you know, well until after you found out you're pregnant. So I get women who will be scared like, oh, I was, I was taking these herbs and doing these things. And I have to tell them, you know, I've had women that are doing far worse things than, than taking some herbs or drinking a tea when they find out they're pregnant and everything seems to be okay. Like, so we're, we, we also want to, you know, this is drive home. We want to keep mama's stress low too mm. in that period because that first 12 weeks of pregnancy is a very fragile time. And it's where we see the highest rate of um, miscarriage, which is why in my practice, anytime a woman uh, is even telling me she's thinking about becoming pregnant, she's given a lab order. And it is a lab order for a pregnancy test 
for progesterone and a complete thyroid panel. And the reason for that is because, you know, depending on my patient's status, I'm going to ask like either, I mean, if I already know she has Hashimoto's or she's had thyroid issues, I'm like, hey, the day you are pregnant, I want you to go in and get your blood drawn. You know, other women, I'm like, hey, within two weeks, they have no family history. Everything's been fine. But the reason why I screen for this is because pregnancy is a stress test for the thyroid gland. And the demands on the thyroid go up by about 50% when you become pregnant. Beta HCG, which is our pregnancy hormone, it's what we do the urine test and find out we're pregnant, is a weak stimulator of the thyroid gland. And, and that, again, was with wisdom to help with that production of thyroid hormone. And baby is absolutely dependent on mama for that thyroid hormone without T4. And this is a very important distinction for people listening with thyroid um, issues. They'll know what I'm talking about. But I like to say that, you know, T3 makes mama feel good, but T4 is for baby. And T4 is what we absolutely have to look at and give if it's needed, because that crosses the placenta, that crosses baby's brain, and that helps with cognitive development and neurodevelopment. And we see there are major issues in children who are far behind their cohorts academically when mom didn't have enough of that T4. So I always want to look at that. The other reason is, is that if I catch a TSH that is, you know, if it's above two, I'm concerned. And we're, we're thinking about a medication because this is not a time we mess around when, you know, when you're pregnant and I'm already seeing your thyroid can't keep up, we don't have a lot of wiggle room. We're going to have to talk about a medication because that TSH rising is a, you're, it's putting you at an increased risk for a miscarriage. And if those TPO antibodies, which are the most common ones we see with Hashimoto's, if they're there, I know you have about a two to three fold increased risk of miscarriage. I'm going to work with you to do everything we can to prevent that. Um, just one tip for people listening, N-acetylcysteine, which is a precursor to glutathione, getting about 1,200 to 1,800 milligrams of that in can actually decrease the risk of miscarriage and help with, with that whole scenario. But, you know, this is something that I can I can see what we can do to prevent a miscarriage and how to make a healthier pregnancy and how to make this, you know, this incredible little human when, when it's time for them to be born. But I also know that if I see these changes in the first trimester in postpartum, we're at a higher risk for postpartum thyroiditis, which puts us at a higher risk for postpartum depression. So again, I'm thinking about what do I need to treat right here, right now? And what's coming down the pipeline if we don't intervene? And how am I going to prevent all of that? Wow, that's a lot to think about for all the moms out there, huh? Yeah, I know, that's a lot <laughs> of information. And that's probably about like, you know, 10% of what I can talk about. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, and it's it's no wonder we even have human beings walking on the planet today, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I say this all the time. I'm like, it is a miracle that right? we have even made it this far as a species. Like every little cell has to divide perfectly. Yeah, and just that whole concept of a human being born still blows my mind to this very day. I mean, I even, you know, look at, you know, my three children and, you know, remembering, you know, when we're going through this process and the thought process going through my head, trying to help my wife through through the pregnancies and, and now looking at where they are, uh, you know, and, and it, one, it makes me think back, like, what more could we have done uh, to help help the kids? And then, you know, looking at where they are now, and I'm like, wow, it, it's it's a good thing we did do those things that we knew of, you know, at the time. Um, now they've, 
gone through the pregnancy. It's, you know, delivery time. They had, you know, for uh, hopefully for most women, have a great delivery. And then sometimes women hit the postpartum. Now, some some women don't, you know, the lucky ones. But a majority of the patients that I see, they suffer from some type of postpartum issues. Uh, What are we recommending there? Yeah. So the first thing we want to do is we want to make sure that we're testing mom. So, you know, and, and you're probably getting, you know, this is how it goes in my practice. I want, I want what, what your story is. And then I want the data so I can track what, what your, what your body's telling me as well. Yeah. Perfect. And so, you know, I'm testing again, it depends on when, you know, what's been going on with the patient family history that I'm running these lab tests and, um, you know, sometimes it's two weeks postpartum. If I know I have a woman with, uh, you know, autoimmune disease, I'm going to run it at two weeks postpartum. I want to get ahead of this. If, you know, you know, you have three kids leaving the house at two weeks postpartum is not fun. So, you know, if we can do mobile phlebotomy, which means someone comes to your house, draws your blood, you never get out of your pajamas. That's definitely ideal. Um, But sometimes, you know, if the risk factors aren't high, I'm saying, you know, let's let's wait until around six weeks. And so we're going to be doing lab testing. If there was a lot of blood loss, I'm going to want to see something like a CBC. That's a complete blood Uh count. So I'm looking for, you know, iron deficiency. That's actually a big cause of so iron deficiency, B12 deficiency. That can cause depression and fatigue all on its own. So you definitely want to look for those really simple, like, you know, things that you would expect. You had blood loss. You had a baby. Let's make sure that your nutrient status is there. I also am looking for markers of inflammation. So when, um, so a CRP, C-reactive protein is one of the main things I like to look at. When we're pregnant, our thyroid and our adrenals, they get a little bit bigger. And when we have a baby, the whole brain talking to your glands, it can get disrupted. And so we want to take a look at that. Is everybody talking uh, the way they should be? Brains talking to your glands and are your glands responding appropriately? And then what is our inflammation looking like? Because if your inflammation's up, you know, and, and childbirth is inherently inflammatory as it is, if your inflammation's up, then I've got to think about, okay, we're definitely going to be, you know, taking down the pathway of going to quinolinic acid instead of serotonin. What does that mean? That means less happy mood neurotransmitters, more disruptive neurotoxin, um, neurotoxins being created in the brain and a really achy, cranky, unhappy mama. And she doesn't know what's going on. Um, I'm also running, you know, just to be, I'm also running like vitamin D and thyroid panel, and I'm taking a look at like blood sugar regulation. And I I like to do cortisol testing as well. Um, at some point in the new postpartum phase. So I'm looking at all of those things as a doctor, but before, before she, before she even has a baby, I'm also looking at What's the whole support network going to look like? And who is your team? And not just your team of birth providers, but who's your team that's going to have your back? How do we set up a you know postpartum birth plan? Um, this is like a new concept to a lot of people, but I'm like, we plan so much for childbirth, but not for the postpartum. Um, and that's why I wrote an entire book on the subject um, called Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth to really help moms navigate all of this and to figure out what is it that I'm going to need in my in my situation. And I can say what's universal for all moms is that you need as much love and support 
as possible. You need as much sleep as possible and as much nutrient-dense food. I mean, those three things I think are really at the crux of surviving momhood in a sense um, is is making sure that you have all of those three things in place. Does that does that make sense? That I makes mean, I perfect. Definitely that, go into yeah, specifics. that makes perfect sense. What do you recommend for dad at that at that point? Because dads are, are you know that support network as well. I know for me when after our first was born. You know, you talk about the the lack of sleep and all of all of that surrounds that. What what do you recommend for dad to be that in that support network? Yeah, so they so you know it is very hard. I mean, you have three. I have one. I think it's hard. I don't know how people have three. <laughs> so kudos to you. It's very hard finding your groove as a yeah, couple. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. And this is something that people don't talk about. Like you just, you, we see these things in the movies and the media. And we just think like, oh, and you're just going to be blissed out. You had a baby. And actually nobody's sleeping. Everybody's cranky. Someone's crying. Nobody knows why. It's a lot of stress for everyone. And so, you know, we, we definitely, we talk to dad about like, you know, holding space and, and we make sure that, you know, conversations that need to happen ahead of time, they're happening. Even while you're pregnant, you're going to counseling, you're doing whatever you need to do to make sure your lines of communication are open. You know how you feel loved and you know how your partner feels loved. And that's really important because, you know, for example, in my relationship, my husband feels loved when I'm affectionate to him, but I feel loved when there's acts of service. If I say, it would really help me to do the dishes and you do that, I feel loved. If you don't do the dishes and you give me a hug, I feel like you don't love me, which sounds totally irrational, but this is just, those are like my love, you know, there's a whole book on love languages. Understanding that ahead of time can help with a lot of frustrations because you know how to show your partner um, you know, how, you know, how they're loved, you know, how to reflect that back to them. And really, you know, a lot of times I hear from parents, like, I totally love my wife. I just don't know how to show her big, big one is, you know, ask, but, you know, aside, aside from all of that and navigating that aspect, we've also got to take care of dad. I mean, this is, it's really stressful to be a dad too. I, I work with moms. So I have a women's health practice. It's a lot of what I do. And, uh, you know, I always see dad after he, you know, the dad comes in after he's like, you know, I saw what you did for my wife and I, I want in on that. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to feel that good. And so, you know, right away, I am, you know, we, I'm really big fan on food first, as you probably have gathered. So, yep. you know, as much as we can be feeding the couple. I mean, it's not just feeding mom. We want to be feeding the couple. Mm -hmm. So because if everybody is, you know, having low inflammation in their body and high amounts of nutrients coming in, everyone's going to deal with stress better. But, you know, a lot of times in these situations with our modern culture and the lack of tribe and community that we have, we're bringing in adaptogenic herbs. So, you know, with moms, I really love rhodiola. Because rhodiola, I call it my the endurance herb. It is yeah. the mama endurance herb. Like mental, physical endurance, this herb has you covered and it helps with depression. It helps with mood disorders big time. So I love that. And because of simplicity, I'm like, let's go ahead and give it to Papa too. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and give it to him. Sometimes I'm saying like, you know, for dad, let's get, you know, let's make some maca in the smoothies for you as well. Let's make sure everybody's getting good B vitamins and really feeding the adrenals and feeding the feeding the humans in the way that the tribe would have. I mean, you know, I ask my patients a lot to eat organ meats and to eat these really nutrient dense foods and to get support 
because that's that's really how we survived as as humans and we very much are in a place in our society where you know we're we're very autonomous and we think we're supposed to go it alone and this is where a lot of and i'm not i'm not saying this is the only place of postpartum depression or that i'm pointing the finger but there is a mismatch and as mothers we feel that and we feel that loss of tribe and we feel the lack of support and we feel the loneliness but this is the way that we've seen it be done. So our only answer is it must be us. And it must be something we're doing wrong as mothers because it's not the joy and bliss that we were promised. When in reality, it's because we don't have our tribe. I mean, in the tribal community, so so in so Chinese culture, for example, they don't allow a new mother's feet to touch the floor for 40 days after the birth of the baby. Um, it's, and it's, there's some great wisdom in that. Your uterus is big and boggy. The relaxin, the hormone that makes you bendy like gummy, Gumby is still pumping around. If you're up and moving around and you know, do, being very physically active, yeah, you're, you're probably going to have more bleeding. That's definitely a problem for your nutrient status. But also that uterus can get traction down, which might not be a problem in your 20s and 30s, but in your 60s, it's called a uterine prolapse. And that could actually be developing from the fact that, you know, you had multiple pregnancies and you didn't have the opportunity to really rest and recover your body. Um, does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I, yeah, when, when you talk about that, I get flashbacks. Uh, you know, we, we had our first and then 21 months later, we had our second. And then 19 months after that, our third came along. And by the time number three came along, I was in pretty much complete adrenal exhaustion. Yeah. You know, I hit the wall because it was like, you know, like you said we were in survival mode. It's like lack of sleep, just trying to take care of all, all of these babies, you know, and, and um, taking care of my wife. And at the end, at the end of the rope was myself, you know, and, and not realizing that. And this is what I tell a lot of dads. Sometimes you want to help out mom. You got to help yourself because if you're drowning and she's drowning, you, everybody's going to start drowning. And absolutely. And at the end of the day, the, 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 the people that gets, you know, the crux of it all are the kids, you know, See, because, you know, you, you can't give them the, the love and support that they need and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I asked that question is what do we do for what do we do for dad so that dad can be that support network, you know, for yeah. that. That's yeah. absolute truth, though, that you're speaking right there. And I think that if everyone listening, just like take a moment, pause and hear this. The best way as a parent that you can show up for your kids and for your partner is to first start with yourself. And when you take care of yourself, you have more to give to the outside world, which, you know, there's you internally and then there's your family that surrounds you. And it's where we get things wrong a lot. And it's this whole, you know, dialogue that has played over and over in, you know, in women's minds for sure. But I think also father's minds as well is, you know, that we're just supposed to be self-sacrificing. We're supposed to give up everything for these, for these children. But in reality, if you do that, you have nothing left to give at the end of the day. So really the best thing you can do for every relationship in your life is to start by caring for yourself. And when you practice self-love, other people start to follow and you'll feel that love and then you'll receive and realize you have so much more to give. Yeah, yeah. And 
you know, to kind of jump on that, I know there's a lot of people that are going to hear that and they're going to say, well, I'm just loving myself. I'm just loving myself. But you said it right there. The end part is the giving part. So don't forget to give too after you love, you know, give yourself. Uh, some people become very selfish, you know, that I, I tell patients that and it sets up a whole crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. sometimes, you know, the pendulum swings. Yeah, You've yeah. been giving you know, you've been giving yourself nothing and then suddenly you're given permission and like that has to happen. Sometimes you have to swing to the other side yeah, to be like, yeah. oh, the balance is in the middle. I have to come back. That's yes. okay. That's yeah. how we learn. Exactly. Cool. As we wrap things up, we're going to transition into uh, our next segment called Your Favorite Things. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions about what are some of your favorite things. So let's start with your favorite health food. Oh, that is, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I feel like, you know, it always depends on what's in season. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. it's So I grow my own food and it's something where I have to honestly say like leafy greens, like I always have kale and chard in my garden. And those, like, those are some of my absolute favorites, but then it's like blackberry season right now here. And like, man, does your brain and your heart and your blood vessels love blackberries? So um, I'm a total foodie and I, I feel like I can't ever pick a favorite food. Um, <laughs> I guess <laughs> I'm like, maybe I would say eggs because I do absolutely love eggs. Uh, love eggs. <laughs> and since we're talking about pregnancy, I mean, most Americans are biotin deficient and eggs are a great source of biotin. And that's absolutely essential for baby's neurological development. And those healthy fats help with healthy hormones. So Let's go with eggs today. I have three chickens of my own, so I am biased. Oh, wow. See, you're lucky you got your own chickens in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not without work, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I grew up with, with a whole bunch of chickens, so I know what you're talking about. What's your, what's your favorite supplement? Oh, it would definitely be a toss-up between N-acetylcysteine, which is that amino acid that's a precursor to glutathione, and turmeric. Because I feel like what doesn't turmeric do? I mean, it's so uniquely positioned to, you know, support the liver, which helps with detox pathways. I mean, when you eat the whole roots, you're feeding your microbiome, you're keeping inflammation low in the gut. It's great for the brain. Um, and really, I'm, I'm digging like right now, I'm just doing like um, stir fried like vegetables and meats and just like cutting up turmeric and putting it into everything. Maybe I should have said that was my favorite food. Ooh, you sounds, can tell I just like to eat all the food. That, sound, that <laughs> sounds good. Coming up on dinner pretty soon. <laughs> What's what would be like your favorite uh, exercise fitness regimen? Oh, I'm a big fan of yoga and strength training. So I actually worked my way through college as a group fitness instructor. Oh, so nice. I have, yeah, I've taught Pilates and yoga and weightlifting and um, mixed martial arts and, um, and spinning. And I have to say, like the only reason I ever took or taught spinning, I hate cardio. Like I just detest it. And I had to just get paid and expected <laughs> to show up to do it. But now I'm like, yeah, I'll just like run a sled with a bunch of weights on it or do like a million wall balls and then I'm good on cardio. But I think, um, you know, my my favorite is I just, I love doing the strength and the flexibility and like things like high intensity interval training. Um, I think that, I mean, the, the promise of exercise on brain health and longevity, I mean, that we've seen time and again, I just think is, is amazing. And so, yeah, I'm all about bone density, build the muscle mass. My, my graduate research was in sarcopenic obesity. 
So I'm really big on build your muscle mass and maintain it because it's one of the best things you can do for your aging body. Perfect. Outside of you, the book that you wrote, what what is your favorite health book that you would turn to automatically? Oh, gosh. Um, it don't, I think that really depends on you know, what, what we're, what we're talking about, because there's like, I'm like instantly what comes to my mind is like my lab reference books. That I look at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I really like those. Um, and then, you know, uh, a couple of books I, I really like for thyroid patients is Isabella Wentz's, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and Michelle Corey's, uh, thyroid cure. I think I get, I recommend, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I recommend those two books to my patients. Um, those are two of like the top books that I recommend to patients when I first diagnose them with Hashimoto's because it really, it helps them understand where we're going with everything and makes them feel like a more active participant in their healthcare, which is exactly how I run things in my office is that I'm not, I'm not the doctor who tells you what to do. I'm the facilitator of health who guides you in achieving that for yourself. Perfect. If you had to just give one health tip and one health tip only, what would that be for somebody? Self-care is not a selfish practice. And that the more you care for yourself and pay attention to your needs, the more you'll be able to meet those and show up in the world as the person you always desired. Yeah, I, I find that a lot too. People kind of, when they come into the office, they kind of feel guilty about taking care of themselves. You know, you, do you find that as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's the, and especially among moms and it's something I have yeah, to yeah. say. And it's funny because I, I talk about this and people are like, wow, you must be so great at self-care. And then I have to come out and be like, no, I worked a 12 hour day the other yeah. day. Like, and this <laughs> yeah. and that, like, I am not perfect. I don't ever want to be perfect. And it's something that I think, you know, I was very early postpartum when I just embraced this idea of being an imperfect mother, because I don't want to teach my child perfection. I mean, face it, who gets autoimmune diseases? All of us A-type personalities striving right. for perfection. Yeah. It's not healthy. And so, you know, my job isn't, isn't to teach my child or my patients perfection. It's how to be, you know, an imperfect, adaptable person. And it's adaptation that dictates survival. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, as, we, as we close, where can... Um... Where can people get in contact with you, find out more information, learn about you, and where can they where can they get your books? Yeah, so my book, Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, it's the new mom's guide to navigating the fourth trimester, is available on Amazon. You can also find me at my website, which is drbrighton.com. It's a little bit tricky. And it's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. Um, that's always the part. It's Brighton like the sun that I have to say. Um, and then uh, you can also find me on Facebook. We have a sweet little community there. Where I, I'm very active and I answer all my own um, messages on there. And then for women who are listening, if they'd like to get more information on hormonal health, they're welcome to download my free um, hormone guide, which is at drbrighton.com slash hormones. And you can grab that and uh, yeah, start your journey to amazing hormonal health. Perfect. I'll put all of those links up in the show notes so that you guys can get in touch with Dr. Brighton. Um, any last thoughts you want to leave the audience with? I would say that whether or not you want to have a baby, every woman should be working towards her fertility. 
because it's something I hear very often where women will say, well, I don't want to have a baby, so I don't care if I'm fertile, except that fertility is a sign of vitality. And when everything is in harmony, your body will do what nature intended, which is ovulate and try to become pregnant. And that's a good thing. That's how we get those really great hormones that make us feel chilled out and calm and completely fall in love with our life. So if you're a woman listening to this and you're like, yada, 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 I don't want to have a baby. Hey, I still want you to be your most fertile self because that means you are at your best. You are optimal. Perfect. That right there, guys, is what you call a mic drop. <laughs> no one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this. Uh, Dr. Brighton, we thank you so much for spending your time and investing your time with us and sharing your knowledge that you've been given and passing it on to you know the rest of the Water Doc University nation. And uh, we, uh, like, I can't give you enough thanks for that. And it's, there's so much information, guys. Go back, listen to this, and uh, and take some notes and get in contact with Dr. Brighton because, like she just said. You got to strive and get to that place where you're having that vitality. So with that said, guys, be well and aloha. Aloha.